Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require sign, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Yesterday, um, Pastor and I were talking, and, and he was saying how this could be kind of an opportunity to, to kind of start the conference. That was nice of him to say, but I, I, have, I can't hold a candle to any of the men that will be coming here <laughs> to preach to you. But what I would like to do tonight is kind of prepare your minds for this coming week. You guys do this every year. We do this every year. We have a, we have a Bible conference. It's the highlight of our year. It's, it's a wonderful time. But it's, it's a time, if we can put it this way, for self-improvement. It's a time to reflect on what's being preached to you and to, and to examine your life and then make proper changes accordingly. What I don't want us to do in our Bible conference or in yours is to just get excited about the men coming to preach and the entertainment that will be provided. It's exciting to listen to Brent Logan. It's exciting to listen to Lee Cadenhead. It's exciting to listen to, what's that one guy's name? James Knox. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But if all you're here for is the entertainment value, you've missed the whole purpose. So tonight, I want to help get you in the proper mind frame, and let's get our minds prepared for what's to come. So Proverbs 8, and we're going to start in verse 22, and we'll read down to the end of of the chapter. The Lord possessed me. Now, if you look at quickly at verse, verse 12, I wisdom. So who's speaking here? Wisdom. It's this whole chapter. That's all it's about. Wisdom. So you come back to verse 22. The Lord possessed me in the beginning of his way before his works of old. I was set up from everlasting from the beginning or ever the earth was. Everybody knows what that means. So we'll just go to verse 24. When there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no fountains abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills was I brought forth, while as yet he had not made the earth, nor the fields, nor the highest part of the dust of the world. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he set a compass upon the face of the depth, when he established the clouds above, when he strengthened the fountain of the deep, when he gave to the sea his decree, that the waters should not pass his commandment, 
When he appointed the fountains of the earth, then I was by him, as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in the habitable part of, the, of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. Now, therefore, hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways, hear instruction, and be wise, and refuse it not." Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, watching at the posts of my doors. Whoso, whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. Those are some pretty definitive statements made throughout that passage. Regarding wisdom, the existence of wisdom, where it came from, how it came about, how long it's been around. When would you say God has ever been without wisdom? <laughs> so, you know, people look at these and they, and they try to, you know, they make all sorts of odd suggestions based on what's being said here. The reality is we have a, the all-wise God. At what point was he not all-wise? And so we have this description of God and wisdom and their relationship and and wisdom, as, the, as verse 1 says, doth not wisdom cry. It's crying out to you saying, listen to me. I know God. I've been with God. I was there from the beginning. I was there after the beginning. I was there through the creation. All I want to do is help you. I'm crying out to you. I'm begging you to let me help you. And so I'm going to, so I don't get ahead of myself. And so I can stay on topic. I'm going to read a lengthy introduction. And it might, if, if, if you spend more of your time at home watching television than reading your Bible, this might offend you a little bit. But I hope you'll hear me out. As Lester Roloff used to say, I hope you'll hear me out tonight. <laughs> and he said, I'm going to tell you what's going on, and then I'm going to tell you where you better be going on. <laughs> so let's pray, then we'll, get, we'll, we'll go through this. I, I want to just prepare your minds tonight for what's coming tomorrow night, and then we can have an exciting conference. Dear Heavenly Father, we sure love you. We thank you for being so good to us, for loving us the way you do. Lord, that you would even put this in your word and make it available to us. Lord, the reality is it cries out to us. Just help us to grasp it. Help us this week. Pray these men make it here safely. Pray that they faithfully and diligently and truthfully teach us from your word. Make us all the better for it. Help us to be people that would be pleasing to you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. The definition of the word wisdom, and I just took a few excerpts because there's, there's quite a bit there, but wisdom is the right use or exercise of knowledge, the choice of laudable ends and of the best means to accomplish them. So the choice of laudable ends, what, what, that, what that is saying is that not only, do you use, not only do you properly exercise knowledge, but you make decisions that are praiseworthy and commendable. They're so wise that they are considered laudable, which means they are to be, con- they are, they are to be commended. You're properly using exercise. You make decisions that, that are praiseworthy, and you do it by the best means possible. You're extremely efficient at it to be wise. The definition would go on to say wisdom gained by experience is of inestimable value. It's invaluable. They can't, they can't put an estimation on experience and the proper use of knowledge and its expression through wisdom in your life. How, would, how do you, I mean, and we all know that. 
You want to get, and again, I don't want to get ahead of myself. You want to get a tire change. You don't, you don't go just anywhere. You want to find somebody that knows how to exercise that knowledge. You want to get, anyways, I don't want to get ahead of myself. So the dictionary definitions exemplify the inherent foolishness of suggesting that all truth is relative. It's a silly idea. How can wisdom exist? Why, why do half the men of this world that hold to the idea that truth is relevant, relative, Seek wisdom. That's a silly thing. It makes no sense. If truth is simply relative to the situation or individual, why place such a value on someone's ability to effectively exercise knowledge? Why is that so important? Why does that, why is the outworking of that so effective if everything's just relative? If just, I see it this way, so I'm going to do it that way, but it's going to fail. Because there, there is a, there is a source of truth that will guide you, that will direct you, and the exercise of that truth, the application of that truth, will get you where you need to be. And that's, that's how we all live our lives, though people's philosophical means might be different, or their approach might be different. <clears throat> Again, if all truth is relative, then the millennial with holes in his ears and a bone through his nose is just as capable of a, as a seasoned professional at making effective decisions. Why even go to school? Why learn a trade? Why, why learn to do anything? If all truth is relative, all you have to do is look at the relativity of the truth and then make a decision accordingly. There, there no, there's no need for an expert that really knows the material and, and, and has a, a grasp of the truth regarding it. Yet when the proponents of this foolishness want their taxes done, they find themselves an established accountant. When they need legal assistance, they seek out a lawyer that can properly exercise legal knowledge. When medical problems arise, they want the best doctor available. And by best, what they mean is the most knowledgeable and most experienced. Someone that can handle the situation. You're not going to the guy with a bone in his nose. That's where they go in Africa (laughs) at times when they don't know any better. They want to deal with experienced professionals that make factual decisions based on absolute truth. You get upset when your doctor is going through a guessing game because he doesn't know what to do. You're excited when he knows exactly what the problem is and exactly how to handle it. Makes a big difference. Speaking in terms of our country, there has been a long and continual march of depravity through the mentality of our nation. Fervent detachment from God is made abundantly manifest in the prevalent lack of wisdom. There is no exercise of wisdom. And the reason there's no exercise of wisdom is because there's no knowledge of God. There's no understanding of God. They're completely detached from God and his word. And so we we just slowly march right into depravity. Everything just slowly falls apart. The fact is, this fact is so unapologetically true, from the heights of intelligentsia all the way down to the common man, badges of honor are given in exchange for their hatred for God. It's a badge of honor. You go, to, you go to your college university and you get amongst the, you know, the, the high levels of brilliance, if you want to put it that way. You don't get tenure. You don't move up. You don't get to stay there unless you hate God. Any suggestion that there is a God and that he might have a say in how things go, you're, you're going to be laughed out of the room. <clears throat> and so that trickles down because... Now we don't worship God in our society. We worship people with PhDs. 
it goes all the way down to the common man, if you want to put it that way. They base everything on what Professor so-and-so said, what Professor so-and-so suggested. It's the theory of evolution, but they live as though it's fact. They boastfully profess themselves to be wise, and they are rewarded for becoming fools. But we're just a bunch of dumb, you know, country people that cling to Bibles. My breath is kind of hot. It's popping against the... (laughs) At full speed, we are heading in a lamentable direction. Large portions of our society live in a constant state of dependence on the sustenance of others. They lack intelligence and skills, not due to a lack of availability, but rather they did not see the wisdom in applying themselves to gaining or learning gaining any knowledge or learning any marketable skills. So much of our society now is dependent upon other people. The character that that would be required of them to get a job and work and not depend on the labor and and provision of others, it's, it's vast at this point. It's a big, big problem. It's not that they couldn't gain intelligence. They have free education. It's not that they couldn't get a job. When you hear that, you see the jokes all the time of a homeless man saying, we'll work for food, standing right next to a Walmart sign that says now hiring. People say, I can't work. I need to, I need to be provided for by the government because I'm physically unable, but they can go fishing and they can go to, I mean, they can do all these things that require physical activity. The number one, the number one employer in Deland, Florida right now is Frontier. They will pay you to sit at a phone and answer it. You can't do that. You're not physically, you can sit at home and watch television all day, but you can't sit and, and wait for a phone to ring. It's not that they couldn't. This is not, this is not an attack on someone's intelligence. It's on, it's on their lack of desire to gain any intelligence. God made you capable. You just don't want to do it. <clears throat> so, Tax dollars pay for their existence, providing them an abundance of time and idle, idle hands that have forsaken wisdom lead to engraved patterns of destructive behaviors and habits. Suicide rates, drug addiction, alcohol abuse, sexual perversion, gender confusion of the highest sort. How does that even exist? That, that's how bad things have gotten. Some of you that have been around longer than I have, you never imagined it was not possible that people could, could stoop to such a level of confusion. You don't know what gender you are? <laughs> We've got some serious problems here. Perpetual financial ruin. People's lives are amazingly unwise. It's just it's to a level that it, it just, this, the complete void, completely void of God, completely void of truth, completely void of the word of God. <clears throat> this is all going somewhere. I'm not just beating up on our society. <laughs> hopefully you're seeing the hopefully you're seeing a good representation of a life without wisdom. And it's crying out. So their their lives are amazingly unwise, yet they, they are still proud and boastful. A quick skim across social media will provide ample proof. They simply continue to exist, tossed about by the vicious circle of calamitous behavior. 
Their only sense of worry in life is that period, that time period between the arrest and the court date. That's my only stress. Their greatest concern is accidentally standing before the before one of the few just judges that will ensure consequences are meted out. Life without wisdom is self-centered, is a self-centered life with no fear of God. And that is not only the, the current state of your society, it is the encouraged current state of your society. I'm sorry? Oh, life, the, <laughs> life without wisdom is a self-centered life with no fear of God. And so it, it, it becomes a matter of boasting. They're proud of it. It's not... It's not that they're even, it's not that they just chose, you know, God is just not for me. It's not that they just made a simple decision. You know, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. They're proud of the fact that they are so far removed from God that they are as crazy as can be. So me standing with a suit on and my body covered and you standing, ladies, with a dress on and your body covered, that's considered insane. It's weird. God called it peculiar, but society calls it weird. You don't drink? What do you do for fun? As though the only thing in life to do is get drunk and do something absolutely ridiculous. I have lots of fun. And the illustration I always use, especially to young people, is if you're living the Christian life and and it's not exciting, it's because you're not doing anything. If you show up to Six Flags and you have all the rides going on and every, all this excitement around you and you take a chair and fold it out and sit it down and just sit there and watch, that's not very exciting. But if you jump in and start jumping on the rides and participating, all of a sudden life gets real exciting. You want to have some excitement? Grab your Bible and stand outside of a college. <laughs> It'll get real exciting really quick. <laughs> Go street preach outside of a bar one night. All of a sudden, you'll get all sorts of excitement. (laughs) So, we don't want to be that way. But I want you to be more than not just that way. You you can hear me read all that off, and you can agree with it, and you say, yeah, that's crazy. But then you'll go home and watch it on television. You'll go participate, and you'll, you'll flirt as close to the line as you possibly can, but not go all the way into it. You're setting yourself up for a fall. Get away from it. Brother James says the best way to clean up a television is to put it in the bathtub and turn the water on. I suggest you try it. (laughs) It works well. Uh, Of course, now they're probably IP68 waterproof and (laughs) and can, can withstand a tornado. So... What I want to look at tonight, you know, the idea that I want to impress upon you, look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 30. Then I was by him as one brought up with him, and I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him. Can you, can you just, before we even go into any of this, could you see if you had a close relationship with wisdom from that one verse, what it might produce in your life? And the less of a relationship you have with wisdom, the further you are from that verse. <clears throat> we have an opportunity this week to, to get, and, and again, I'm going to get ahead of myself, and some of this might sound redundant, but you're, you're going to get an overload of information this week on wisdom. 
You have an opportunity to settle your life down right there in that verse and to live the rest of your life according to what you're going to learn this week. If you'll show up, listen, learn, and apply. <laughs> our circles, we're, we're big on our knowledge. We rightly divide. We know, we know where to place stuff. We know how to chop the Bible up properly. We, and that's good. It's important. But what are you doing with it? It's not enough to just have it. I, you know, we preach in the rescue mission all the time, and I met a guy one time that, that is a, he was a NASA engineer living in the rescue mission. It does him no good to have that degree or to boast about being a NASA engineer if you're not doing any engineering for NASA. It does no good for you to have the knowledge, the information, and make no application of it to your life. You have a, we have a great opportunity this week. So from the beginning of the Lord's way, his delight each day is wisdom. Whatever his way is, now that's not saying there's a beginning to the Lord. That's talking about a certain way of the Lord that, that, it, that it apparently began. And wisdom said, I was right there. And I was his delight each day. Now the word delight is defined as a high degree of pleasure or satisfaction of mind. But it goes a step further and says, Delight is a more permanent pleasure than joy and not dependent upon sudden excitement. And as Christians, when we look at this definition and we make a little application of this, what happens is we wait for that sermon that gives us the sudden joy, sudden excitement. If we could just hear those words, that one thing that would give us that shot of energy, that, that, that shot of spiritual energy that we think we need, rather than just applying what God tells you to do. Again, if you would participate, things would be very exciting. And I'm not assuming that you don't. I don't know what you do. But if you're getting angry at me saying that, well, then <laughs> there could be some issues there. I hope you'll fix it and not stone me later. So this week, we have a wonderful opportunity. We are going to spend the week studying a topic that has been God's daily delight from everlasting I mean, think about that. Let, that. let that consume your mind for a moment. How big that is. We're going to spend an entire week doing that. I mean, I'm excited about it. I, one guy said amen, so I guess, I guess it wasn't exciting as, as you thought. But it's a topic that, if well understood by God's people, will cause him to delight in us. This, it's not too often you get to make this type of application of a verse. You see something God delights in, you're going to study it all week, and then applying what you learn to your life will cause God to take delight in you and your life. If you want to take advantage of that opportunity. It's my hope tonight to prepare your mind for the coming week. Please do not miss the opportunity to grow in wisdom. You should try not to miss physically being here, but let me also say that once here, do not miss growing in truth due to all the festivities and the fellowship. There's a tendency to get caught up in service that can overtake your mind. I'm busy doing this. I'm busy doing that. And you're missing out on what's being said here. You're missing out on what you could be gained, what could be gained from the pulpit. Don't do that. Be here. And then once you're here, be here. <laughs> Turn with me to Revelation chapter 4. Revelation chapter 4, and this is probably a, a verse that's very familiar to you. We'll read a couple of verses to get a little context and 
gain some excitement and the joy from the excitement. (laughs) Revelation 4, verse 8, And the four beasts had each of them six wings about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory and honor and thanks, three very important things, to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So why do you exist here tonight? What is the purpose of your existence? Isn't that a common question that man has? What am I here for? That verse tells you exactly what you're here for. You were put here to please God. And the further you are separated from that reality, the more miserable your life is going to be. The more empty your life is going to be. And so, again, we want to apply some wisdom and please God, become his delight. So, the Lord is is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. He made all things, and of course, that includes us. You have an opportunity this week to gain an abundance of biblical knowledge concerning wisdom. Now, in order for that knowledge to turn into wisdom... So again, you don't want just knowledge about wisdom. It's good to know what wisdom is, what it's for, how, you know, all, all these great things. It's good to have the knowledge and to take the notes and to enjoy the, the, the emphasis that each preacher puts on it. But you got to take it a step further. In order, in order that knowledge, in order for that knowledge to turn into wisdom, you must take it home and exercise it properly. We, we, so we know the definition of wisdom is the proper exercise of knowledge. But then if you gain knowledge about wisdom and then never exercise it, <laughs> that's not wise. <laughs> so, and then the exercise thereof will help you fit right into this verse as well. You can be pleasing to your God. You can be pleasing to the Lord Jesus Christ, who deserves glory and honor and power and all these great things. Would it not be wonderful to stand in front of him and say, man, that pleased me? But do you live like that on a daily basis? Is that your thought pattern after hearing a good sermon? Or is that your thought pattern on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? <clears throat> we, should be, we should be living for the Lord. But many Christians have plenty of Bible knowledge, but they fail to make any personal application of that knowledge. And that's, that's again, that's our, that's our crowd at times. The circles we run in, we have some of the greatest Bible teachers that I think, I think some of them will, will go down in history as great Bible teachers. But having learned all the great things they can teach us, again, what's the point if you don't apply it to your life? Is it so that you can win an argument? Or so that in the circle of friends you can boast about the knowledge that you have? Because when you sit and you tell somebody how much knowledge you have, but they know what you did last Tuesday, that's not helping. It's actually, instead of giving God the glory and honor he, he, he deserves, you're causing people to blaspheme the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not going to apply what you've learned and live the Christian life effectively and efficiently, wisely, 
you're just you're just going to be that other person people point to and say, well, that Christian does it. You recently had some some hearings in town about alcohol, where a Methodist minister stood and gave testimony about how it's okay. <clears throat> now, it might be, it probably is, that that man has no clue what the Bible says about alcohol. I, I would venture to say that's probably the case. But does he know some things about the Bible? Sure. I'm sure he does. Is he applying any of it? Absolutely not. He's being used to help bring some, uh, uh, to help, to help develop in this community that destructive pattern we just read about a few minutes ago. <clears throat> so let's take what we learned this week and move it from the realm of knowledge to wisdom and see if we cannot go on to please the Lord our God. So, but you have to make the decision Make it tonight. I'm going to show up tomorrow ready to do that. When I get here, I'm not only going to enjoy the preaching, which I, you should. I'm going, to, I'm going to take note of it. I'm going, to, I'm going to examine my life in light of it. And then I'm going to apply it. I'm going to make some changes. We're going to do some battle up here and, and, and get rid of some things that disagree with God or some activities that disagree with God. And we're going to exchange those for some good godly activities. Look at Hebrews 11. This has always been a a rough verse for me to read. It, it, It motivates me when I read it. I hope it'll do the same for you. Hebrews 11, verse 13. These all died in faith, not having received the promises but having seen them afar off and were persuaded of them and embraced them and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed." To be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. That's a, that's a scary statement. So these were people that believed what God said. So let's, let's, let's deal with the people first, and then we'll deal with what God said there and try to apply it to our lives as we, as we go through this. These are people that believed what God said, then got to work doing what God said as a result of that belief. You believe God? Good. What are you doing with it? And, 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 and I'm not trying to be repetitive, and I understand that you know this, but I want you to bring it to the forefront of your thoughts and actually start making some applications in some area where we have been lazy, where we have been complacent, where we have been stubborn. We want to take what we already know and apply it. If you're not, some of you may already have all this figured out. If you do, please come tell me so I can learn from you. <laughs> If you don't, then I'm sure there's some areas in your life that you can examine, and you know what God says about that area of your life, but you haven't done anything about it. That should be true in every aspect of your life, but this week, as we focus on wisdom, man, it'd it'd help you get a big head start if you just approached it with that attitude. Abraham, Abraham did more than just believe God. God wanted him to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and then guess what he did? He left. (laughs) 
Now, what if God said, I want you, if you leave, I'll make, I'll make of you a great nation. I've got this land promised to you. And he said, oh, I believe that. Okay, when, <laughs> when were you going to leave? Oh, you wanted me to actually get up and go, oh, I believed you. I just wasn't actually going to do anything with it. But the belief spurred him to get pack up and head out. <clears throat> Noah was told that God was going to flood the earth and that he needed to build an ark. He didn't just say, I believe that. And God's like, okay, well, what about, the, you know, I, I don't see lumber. I don't see saws moving. I don't see what's going on. Well, I said I believed you. I said I agree with it. I, didn't, I wasn't going to actually do anything about it. And that should not be our lives. That should not be how we apply the word of God. And if you'll be honest with yourself, you'll, you'll admit there are at least some areas in your life where you've done exactly that. So this is, again, a great opportunity to examine those things and to say, okay, let's, let's put that away. Once the knowledge from God was obtained and believed, then feet began to move. Action. That's what this, this chapter is all about. These were people that believed God. These all died in faith, but you can go re- back and read that what you can go back and read what that faith inspired them or moved them to go and do. And it didn't, and that's, that's a scary word, inspire. It didn't inspire them to come up with something. <laughs> it inspired them to do exactly what God instructed them to do. They didn't just say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm sincere and I think God would have me to do this. He's laid it on my heart. He gave me peace about it. Didn't, they didn't do that. They said, God said, build an ark. This is how he wanted it built. Here are the instructions. Here are the materials. That's what I'm going to do. And he did. And he lived. And it went well. But look at verse 16 again. But now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. If there exists certain of God's people that he is not ashamed of, then what must follow? Yeah, he belongs to me, but I'm ashamed of him. That's my child, but I <laughs> wish I could take it back sometimes. That should not be us. You need to be very, very careful. You need to be, first of all, this is going to require you to be honest with yourself. You don't need to come tell me anything. You don't need to come tell the pastor anything. God knows it all. A lot of the times people can't get from step A to step B is because they don't, they, they, they think themselves so high and mighty and so, so pious. There's no need for me to take the next step. I've got to figure it out. I'm good right where I'm at and I'm not moving. You need to break that barrier down. That's a hard heart. That's disobedience to God. One day you're going to stand before that God. And to, to capitalize on that, John said, I saw, as it were, a lamb that had been slain. You're not just going to stand before God. You're not just going to stand before Jesus Christ. You're going to see the nail prints. You're going to see the beatings. You're going to see a lamb as though it had been slain for you in your place. Is, is that man, that one, that the man Christ Jesus that died on the cross for your sins, is he not worth some glory and some honor? and some power? Is it not worth giving some things up for? Could it not motivate you to have that, that one that loves you so much 
not be ashamed of you? That's a motivational factor for me. I don't want to stand before. It would be great to hear, well done, thou, thou good and faithful servant. You did a great job. It would be better to hear, I wasn't ashamed of you. <laughs> now, some of you know people that are in your family. I'm not going to make it too personal because I have no idea what's going on in this church. But you wished sometimes that they did not belong to you. You wish they didn't show up to your places of, of work or your places of fellowship. It's because you're ashamed of them. And you're ashamed of them because of the choices they've made and the lives that they live. It's exactly the, the same. It's exactly the same for you between you and your God. You don't want to show up somewhere and have God say, uh, yeah, that's mine. Unfortunately. I want to walk right through that gate and, and, and have God be just, I am not ashamed to be called his God. I am not ashamed to be called her God. They live their life for me. Joshua 1 says of Moses, and it's one of my favorite passages, is Moses, the servant of the Lord, is dead. And then God turns and starts talking to Joshua, the minister, the servant of Moses. And then Joshua 24 says, Joshua, the servant of the Lord, is dead. Because these were people that saw in, in Moses his faithfulness to God, his willingness to live for God. And we know many of the mistakes Moses made. It's not that you're going to not make mistakes, but he was faithful to God. And that's really where the rubber meets the road. If, if you belong to God but refuse to remove things from your life that you know God wants, wants you to remove, that's not faithfulness. That's faithfulness to you and your sin. That's not faithfulness to God and what he said. You need to see that difference and then act upon it. He was not ashamed to be called their God. Um, there are certain of God's people that he is ashamed, of, he is ashamed to be called. That. Let's, let's learn this week how to be God's delight Let's learn how to please him, and let's make, let's make certain he is not ashamed to be called our God. That's an opportunity you have this week. You'll take advantage of it. It's an opportunity you have every time you come to church, every time you read your Bible. But this week, specifically, we're going to bear down on this subject, on this topic. Turn back quickly to Proverbs 8. There's another aspect to this I want to bring to your minds. Proverbs chapter 8, look at verse 31. Rejoicing in the habitable part of his earth, and my delights were with the sons of men. God delights in wisdom, and wisdom's delights are with the sons of men. You see that progression there. You see that, that, how that works. God loves wisdom. He enjoys wisdom. Wisdom desires, delights, enjoys being with the sons of men and having a hold of your heart and being a part of your life. Now we live in a world of, again, we're going to look at some contrasts here so that it really makes it more vivid to you, makes it more clear to you. We live in a world of great technological advancement. We have seen wonders come to pass that previously were, were, that were previously considered impossible. Yet these rapid technological advancements have become people's hope. Whether it's in the medical industry, whether it's in just a, a phone, the things that a phone can do today, it, it's just, I mean, technology is just incredible today. 
but it has its negatives. <clears throat> so these rapid, te- rapid technological advancements have become people's hope. Surely with the next invention, all my troubles and anxi- anxieties will finally go away. So a new smartphone comes out every year. I've got to have it. It does something different than the last one. It will help me in some way. It will make my life better in some way. It will improve me in some way. Wrong. You're just going to be another $1,000 less and have a really smart phone while you look like an idiot. Maybe the next pill will remove my undesired characteristics and bad behavior with no effort on my part. I'm going to... I'm going to overeat, I'm going to overdrink, I'm going to overindulge in so many areas of life, but surely, surely technology has come up with something that will allow me to continue that bad behavior, but take away the negative consequences. That's the hope. Maybe there really is a beautiful person deep within me that we can cause to spontaneously appear. That's not going to happen. I hope you realize that. <laughs> and I hope that wasn't news to you. <laughs> These are all cunningly devised fables meant to sell you the next product. There is a great danger in approaching life as though it were some technical defect to be resolved by invention. That's not how you approach life. The things that are wrong in your life are a result of your individual choices. They did not spontaneously show up Therefore, there must be, a, there must be a, a, a quick pill I can take, a quick place I can run to that will spontaneously take them away. That's not how it works. <clears throat> the reality is our search for external resolution is nothing more than a willingness to be ignorant about our personal responsibility. People are diagnosed as having chemical imbalances or, disease, or the disease of alcoholism and drug addiction rather than admitting we have inadequate character. It's a disease. I can't help it. (laughs) You made the choice to do it. We have some people in our life that are just ravaged by drug addiction. We're trying to help. And the, the, the gap is between the end result of their choices and the fact that they made that choice. They can't see A from B. They can't get from here to there. They don't understand that the reason I'm here is because I went. I, 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 I found a means to get money. I sought out a drug dealer. I purchased the drugs. I went somewhere privately, and I took the drugs. There's just a series of well, very well-calculated steps that got them to where they, to where they you know, high on the drugs, overdosed on drugs, just life ravaged and destroyed, whatever the case may be. It's just a disease that I have. No, cancer is a disease. You get rid of the cancer, the disease is gone. If drug addiction is a disease, then stop taking the drugs and the disease is gone. (laughs) Stop drinking and the drug is gone. Make the choice not to do it anymore. Now, of course, without the the Lord, you're not going to ever hear any of this. And you have no, no real valid chance of really ever accomplishing it. With the Lord, you have no excuse whatsoever. <clears throat> we refuse to see the long history of bad choices as having any cause for our current trouble. It's not my fault. 
That's just spontaneous. It just, it just came up. I don't know how it got here. And so, again, I, I don't want to get, the, I mean, there's a lot I'd like to say there, but I, I want to stick to the notes. We then place a responsibility on someone else demanding that they find a cure immediately. Doctor, I have a disease. You have to cure it. <laughs> Drinking alcohol is not a disease. And if you would stop drinking alcohol, the problems you're having as a result of alcohol would go away. <clears throat> but calling it a disease alleviates me from my personal responsibility in the matter. I'm just an unfortunate victim of this, this terrible disease. And that's not the case. Now, that's, that's alcoholism, and that's easy to pick on, but what about your finances? And what about what you do with your time? And what about the places you go? And the things that you do, it's all, it's all related. When a problem pops up in your life, now we live in a sin-cursed world, it is feasible that somebody else made a decision that caused trouble in your life. That's possible. But if you can't sit down with your pastor or the men of the church and discuss what happened, it's probably because you made a series of decisions that got you there. Any confrontation regarding my lack of wisdom and resulting decisions made will be met with righteous indignation. I can't pay my rent. Will you help me? Love to help you. Let's talk about what you did with your money last month. Well, why do you need to know that? (laughs) You're asking us for money to help you with a financial situation. Let's discuss it and find out how you arrived at your current financial situation. Well, I don't think that's any of your business. They want, they don't want help. They want to be removed from the consequences of their decisions. And in between the removal of the consequences and the trouble arising, they don't want to discuss what got them there. They don't, they want, they want to make sure that you understand it's not their fault. It's not their responsibility. Someone else needs to jump in here and help me be removed from this problem. It's a lack of wisdom, a lack of biblical understanding. Just going at life. With no God, no king, just every man doing what's right in his own eyes. Doth not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice? I need you to understand this cry comes with confrontation of ideas. You need to grasp that. And the more honest you're willing to be about that fact, that reality, the the more you can be helped. I made a mess of this situation. I've made a mistake. I'm going to go face it. And I'm going to talk to somebody that can help me. And I'm going to have to hear. Look, this is not a bad thing. My wife and I are going to be missionaries in Uganda. We had to sit down with James Knox and talk to him about that. (laughs) And what followed was a series of very uncomfortable conversations. (laughs) Because he's not just going to go throw thousands of dollars at somebody and send them off across the sea to, to a foreign mission field. There are some expectations, and he wants to know, are you, does your life meet these expectations? And where they don't, we're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> and we're going to do more than talk about it. You're going to come back in a couple of months and show me that you've done something about it. I could have gotten angry and said, this is none of your business. Stay out of my business. We'll do it our own way and left. And we wouldn't be standing in front of you today, missionaries to Uganda, Africa. So there are some things going on in your life. I don't know what they are. Marriage trouble, financial trouble, 
family trouble outside of marriage. Just, just all sorts of things. People are hurting. People's lives are a mess. And it's too often now people with this book in their home. They don't appeal to it. If they, do, if they know what it says, they don't apply it. And they wait till things are so far gone and so, so messy, it requires a miracle to fix it. Because stopping right now and going to someone and saying, I need help, would mean admitting <laughs> that you hadn't been doing what you should have been doing, at least in that matter. And you hadn't been making decisions that you should have been making regarding that matter. And now you're going to have to have someone tell you, well, brother, sister, this is how you got here. This is what we need you to do as a church, as your brothers and sisters in Christ, bearing one another's burdens. This is what we need you to do to fix this, to get this straight. Before you completely ruin everything and you're out of church and your marriage is gone and your finances are gone and things are so bad that we won't even recognize you a year from now. Don't let it go that far. Don't let things end up that way. But we have a tendency to do exactly that because we're just pride. I'm not going to admit that I did wrong here. I'm, a, I'm the victim here. <clears throat> well, I don't know many victims that blow their money. <laughs> I don't know many victims that, that just they throw away their substance on, on riotous living. But that's victimization. That, that doesn't fit. It doesn't work. So this change should result also in a change of actions and choices in your life, even when it's difficult. And the sooner you'll face this, the sooner you'll grasp this, and the sooner you'll just come in, go in the pastor's office, sit down. All right, I need to deal with this. I'm not going to get help if I don't. And you're not going to get help if you don't. You'll suffer the consequences of whatever's going on for 5, 10, 20, 30 years before, before it finally breaks you down and you say, okay, I'm done with this. I'm going to go get some help. Rather than as soon as it shows up, yeah, I messed up here. <laughs> I'm not going to allow this to linger. We're going to do something about it. <clears throat> that requires some humility on your part, though. Regardless, wisdom cries out, I delight to be with you if you would have me. I would love to spend time with you if you would have me. I would love to help, get you, get, help you get your life together if you would have me. I would love for you to pass me on to your children. I would love for them to pass me on to their children. I, I delight to be with the sons of men. And we turn around and say, get out. I don't want you here. I'm fine. I've got this figured out. And there is a way which seemeth right unto a man. And the end thereof are the ways of death. And you'll go about it your way, and you'll do it your way, and you'll, you'll take every step to avoid confrontation and thereby make sure you never allow wisdom to enter into your life. <clears throat> but it still cries out. It's still here for you if you'd have it. Now look back at Proverbs 8. Proverbs 8, verse 32. Now, therefore, hearken unto me, O ye children, for blessed are they that keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and refuse it not. 
Blessed is the man that heareth me, watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoso findeth me, findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death. So I have a few questions for you. I'd like you to keep in the forefront of your thoughts as we go into into this week. And we'll close with this. Will you take some time to hear instruction this week? Will you hear it? That's the first thing that, that, that it says. Hear the instruction. Don't hear the instruction and then argue with it in your mind about what you think. And you know, No, hear the instruction. There'll be time to go home and reflect on it later and, and to decipher what's going on. Just hear the instruction. Secondly, will you be wise and refuse it not? There's an end result to doing these things and allowing this to be in your life. Allowing it. That requires your participation. Romans says that if you yield yourselves to sin, if you yield yourselves to sin, you're the servant thereof. Who's doing the yielding? You are. Not God. Not Satan. Not the devil. Well, the devil made me do it. He's attacking me. No, you yielded to sin. (laughs) You chose to go jump into that, and now here you are. So will you be wise and refuse it not? Will you show up here daily at, at, at wisdom's gates? It's, they're going to be erected here this week. You're going to hear more about wisdom probably than you ever heard in your life. You're going to have such an opportunity this week to apply wisdom to your life. Will you show up at wisdom's gates? And show up with the same fervor you would show up for a hokey bird. <laughs> Will you wait at the post of wisdom's doors? We have a Savior who says, I, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. Just knocking. We let him in. Wisdom's going to be here. You're going to come get it. Having gotten it, you're going to take it home and say, all right, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to apply this. So we are. If you will, if you will, this week you will find life and you will obtain favor with your God. Is that not incredible? That's a big statement. Is the word of God true? How definitive was that statement? It is certain. If you'll show up here this week and do those things, You'll find life and you will obtain favor with your God. That's what's available to you this week. That's what we all get to do this week. Praise the Lord. So I hope you'll pray about these things. I hope you'll prepare yourself daily. And I hope you'll come in here and get it. Just take it. Same same way you would some barbecue. Just devour it. All right, brother. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.